Hello, I'm Francis Scar, and you're listening to episode 6 of Russia Unwrapped. This time, I'll be diving into the cinema of Yakutia, a vast region in eastern Siberia spanning three time zones. And helping me to navigate my way through this truly unique world and its broader cultural context is Irina Engelis, founder and CEO of the Yakutsk International Film Festival. Yakutia, or the Saka Republic, as it's known by the indigenous Turkic people who make up the bulk of its population, is comparable in size to India, but home to just short of one million residents. On the odd occasion that this distant region does make it into the international media, the story usually focuses on its extremely harsh winter climate. Many a foreign correspondent has travelled to Yakutia, aiming to capture in prose the experience of coping with life in minus 50 degrees. And more recently, its swathes of melting permafrost have taken centre stage in reports concerning Russia's fight against climate change. But in the last few years, Yakutia has gained unlikely recognition of an entirely different kind, admiration for its flourishing film industry. A number of its films have garnered success at international film festivals across the globe, with Russia's most prominent film critic Anton Dolin describing the industry as a remarkable phenomenon which you won't find anywhere else. On the surface, its story begins with the founding of a state cinema production company in the regional capital Yakutsk in 1992, shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union, and later with the founding of the Yakutsk International Film Festival in 2013, which has opened up doors of opportunity that were previously closed. But as I learnt from Irina, the creative impulse that drives the region's filmmakers has much deeper roots. She told me of the Olonkho, the folk epic of the Saka people, a series of heroic tales in verse passed down orally through the ages by folk storytellers, each of whom knew thousands of lines by heart. In the world order of the Saka people, there are three worlds. The upper, middle and the lower worlds. In the upper world live spirits called Ai. In the lower world reside demons called Abahlar, along with various other villainous characters. And in the middle world we people live. All three worlds are connected by an ancient tree Al Lukmas, whose roots go down into the lower world and whose branches reach up into the upper world. In most cases, the Olonkho's inspiration is indirect. Its impact derives instead from how it stokes the imagination of Yakut children who grow up on its tales of warriors and diabolic Abakla. However, Irina told me that for many local filmmakers, bringing this epos to the silver screen is nothing short of a lifelong goal. Главная сюжетная линия – это всегда противостояние верхнего и нижнего мира, борьба добра со злом. И все эти истории очень кинематографичные и могли бы послужить... The main plot line is always the confrontation between the upper and the lower worlds, the fight between the good and evil. All the stories are really cinematic, and many Yakutian filmmakers dream of producing films based on the Olonho. Producer Mariana Sigin is working on a project called Khar Kunat. It's an epic fantasy and we hope it will be a breakthrough film in that genre for Yakutian filmmakers. 
I suppose you could compare the plot lines to something out of The Lord of Rings or Game of Thrones. Olonjo is one of the main foundation stones on which Yakutian traditions and culture, including filmmaking, are built. The regional film industry has undoubtedly blossomed in an unprecedented way in the last 15 years or so. But it would be wrong to dismiss the Soviet legacy. Irina told me that actors from Yakutia played roles in films throughout the 20th century, beginning with Nikon Tabunasov in Aerograd, a 1935 work by the legendary Ukrainian director Alexander Dovzhenko. Another more recent pathfinder is Alexei Romanov, whose 1986 short film Mapa is considered to be the first cinematic work in the Yakut language. Romanov was also one of the first Yakutians to benefit from an education at Moscow's famous Vgik Film School. Towards the end of the 1990s, the number of Yakutians studying there or at St. Petersburg's Film and Television University began to climb, something which allowed a small core of well-equipped cinematic professionals to establish itself back in Siberia. In 1992, when the Soviet film studios shut down, at the initiative of local filmmakers, the state production company Sahar Film was founded in Yakutia. Some of its most recent films are Eduard Novikov's The Lord Eagle, which won the main prize at the Moscow International Film Festival in 2018, and the other one by Lubov Borisova called The Sun Above Me Never Sets, which a year later won the Audience Award at the same festival. In The Lord Eagle, an elderly couple seeing out their days in the remote tiger forest are unexpectedly visited one day by an eagle. The story is set against the historical backdrop of the 1930s, and hanging over it is the tension between the protagonist's traditional rural way of life and the growing influence of alien Bolshevik ideology. Watching the film, my gaze was drawn to the sharp contrast between the sheltered, candle-lit interior of the couple's home and the bare wintry landscape outside, but at its centre is the slowly blossoming relationship between the elderly man and woman and their aquiline guest, which has unquestionably universal resonance. Lead actor Stepan Petrov, who incidentally has spent most of his life as a tractor driver on a collective farm, acting only on the stage of a rural theatre, also plays the starring role in The Sun Above Me Never Sets. In a similar way, this film foregrounds common human values, while being set on the distinctively Yakutian Arctic coastline. Petrov plays Baibal, an old man whose sole remaining wish is to be buried beside his wife, who we learn died years earlier when their boat capsized. He is joined by Altan, a young man sent away from his urban home to the north to earn some money tending to an acquaintance's smallholding. While the pair initially have little in common, Altan convinces Baibal that his life still has something to offer him and in turn the young man learns to reappraise his approach to seeking happiness. (laughs) 
As mentioned earlier, another major development in Sakha cinema has been the Yakutsk International Film Festival. Founded in 2013, it's played a key role in buttressing the infrastructure of the regional film industry, exhibiting the best of its output, while also providing a forum for filmmakers, actors, critics and distributors to establish contacts with each other. Irina told me that many who come to the festival from other parts of Russia or even abroad have left as real evangelists for Yakutian filmmaking. Anton Dolin, who I quoted earlier, counts himself among Saka Cinema's biggest fans. He's written extensively on the topic for a number of publications, but it's perhaps a Facebook post by him from 2018 that gets closest to pinning down why it has so much to offer to film fans. Dolin lists ten factors which he believes set Yakutian films apart. One of the most striking is what he calls the filmmaker's unique connection with the audience. He argues that nothing in Yakutia is filmed for President Putin, the Russian Culture Ministry, the Cannes Film Festival, the Oscars, or even for the director themselves. Films there are made solely for the audience, and audience members are more than happy to pay for their cinema ticket. Наши вообще якутские кинематографисты, да, они они сами являются зрителями, сами большие любители кино, да, и our filmmakers are cinema goers and real enthusiasts themselves. They even monitor online discussions among locals. They really sense the mood in local society and they want to know what topics people are interested in, in which genres their audiences would like to see. Many of them come from Yakutia's rural districts and have close ties to the ordinary people of the region. In Yakutia, demand drives supply. The audience's set agenda for Yakutian films. Another factor on Dolin's list is the widespread lack of professional qualifications in Yakutia's film industry, something he considers liberating rather than constraining. Irina also highlighted this during our conversation. Мне кажется, вот что касается якутских кинематографистов, которые не имеют профильного образования, скажем так, да, ну, как мы видим, это это нисколько не мешает. As regards Yakutian filmmakers, let's say the ones without a specialist cinematic education, we can see that this doesn't hinder them at all. In fact, it may even help them because they are so free and uninhibited in their self-expression. Sometimes, for example, they are unaware that some technique has already been conceived and used by another filmmaker. They just create with certain kind of feeling, intuition, desire and talent. Lubov Borisova, who directed the aforementioned The Sun Above Me Never Sets, is just one of many in Saka cinema who have beaten an untypical path to their current vocation. After completing an economics degree, she spent six years working in the banking sector before gaining a foothold in the film industry as a production runner and gradually working her way up. Another is Dmitry Davidov, a 38-year-old who astonishingly has no formal training and has spent his adult life working as a primary school teacher, using weekends and the summer holidays to make his films. His debut, titled Bonfire, is a powerful drama which tells the story of an old man's struggle to rediscover meaning in his life when his only son commits suicide in a police cell after being arrested for manslaughter. The plot, which sees the old man taking a street urchin as replacement for his son, might easily have descended into cliched sentimentality, but Davidov rejects the temptation to use trite dialogue or a soundtrack of saccharine chord sequences.
Instead, he captures the developing bond between the two protagonists, using drawn-out shots of the pair from a static camera set against the icy grey palette of Yakutia's winter landscape. Davidov's latest film, released just days ago, has already drawn copious praise. Scarecrow won the main prize at Kinotavr, Russia's biggest film festival, and has been described by critic Anton Dolin as entirely original in its cinematic language. Harsh and spare, with a tendency to monochrome, but distant from the unnatural fixation on deformity and poverty, which he says often characterises Russian arthouse films. This dark, enigmatic work centres on an alcoholic witch doctor, who despite her outcast status, offers the only hope of salvation for those mired in trouble. At the heart of Scarecrow lies shamanism, a religious tradition which retains an important place in Sakha society even today. This is just one prominent example of how the cinema of Yakutia is located firmly within the region's own unique cultural context. The sense of place emanating from these films is palpable, and this is no coincidence, for while the Sakha people are citizens of Russia, they have inherited a distinct culture of which they are fiercely proud. Nikolai Yadrinsov, a leading 19th century researcher of Siberia, once noted that the Sakha were the only indigenous people conquered by the Russian Empire whose language had successfully gained a foothold in Russian urban society, with Slavic colonisers even making the effort to learn the Turkic tongue. According to Yadrinsov, the Yakuts had not only not submitted to the influence of their conquerors, but on the contrary had drawn them into their own sphere. A century later, in the late Soviet era, the Sakha people still held cultural sway in their homeland, with their tongue becoming the only Siberian language for which the state produced textbooks aimed at Russian speakers. Before Russians colonised the region, Sakha society revolved around hunting as well as horse and cattle herding. While 21st century Yakuts live predominantly in cities, like their Russian compatriots more broadly, the countryside retains a prominent place in the folk imagination, and many films unfold against the backdrop of Yakutia's rural expanses. The Saha people have a very developed sense of national identity. They are real patriots and value their native culture and traditions. People maintain strong links with the villages where they grew up. When the Yakutian films are shown in central Russia, lots of Yakuts go to the cinema to watch them because they want to see their homeland, where they came from. They miss their homes. In our language, this is called Khan Tardar, which means that your blood is pulling you somewhere. You want to see the place you're from, you miss it. The Saka people retain huge fondness for their rural heritage. But this shouldn't be mistaken for misplaced nostalgia. They are also keenly aware of the dangers inherent in their natural surroundings. Nature is very closely linked to our traditional culture, to the world order of the Saka people, because in Yakutian culture, nature is alive, it's animate. We live in terrible, harsh climatic conditions. In winter it's really cold, and in summer it's really hot, in central Yakutia at least. We simply have to reconcile ourselves to the natural environment and listen to it, because we depend on it directly. In Costas Marsan's 2016 debut work, My Murderer, 
we follow a young police detective whose apparently open and shut murder investigation suddenly takes an unexpected turn, landing him in the operations of illegal gold miners deep in the northern taiga. On one level, it is a gripping tale with a plot to rival any Scandi noir drama. But there is another layer to it too. As the detective becomes more and more ensnared in his investigation, he also finds himself further from the familiar confines of urban Yakutsk. Another film whose plot is driven by the tension between nature and humanity is Mikhail Lukachevsky's 2013 production White Day. This film deals with a very real problem faced by Yakutian motorists every winter, the prospect of being stranded in remote rural areas and freezing to death. Its suspense is powered purely by the harsh weather conditions and the ability of the protagonists to withstand them. The intensity of the Sakha people's relationship with their natural surroundings reveals itself most vividly in Isekh, a festival traditionally held each year on the summer solstice, which celebrates the long-awaited passing of the unrelenting winter. The celebration involves elements of Yakutia's ancient shamanic culture, including its highlight, the Asulhai, a dance in which hundreds or even thousands of people hold hands to form a series of rotating concentric circles while singing in response to a leader. Исеха такой праздник, когда все родственники съезжаются, встречаются. То есть на этих праздниках в старину находили себе мужа, находили себе жену, потому что Исеха is a festival for which relatives come together from all across the region to see each other. In the olden days, there were traditional competitions which people used to find themselves a husband or wife. Girls with the longest plaits would compete against one another, and young men would face off for the title of the strongest and most agile. People would put themselves on show and find their companion for life. Of course, the authentic sense of national identity that comes through in Yakutian films makes them irresistible to an outsider like myself, be it through the exotic cultural traditions on display, the unfamiliar landscape, or even just the very use of the Saka language. But these works are far from being simply ethnographic representations of an exotic national group. Admittedly, they gained initial international recognition at events focused specifically on works by indigenous peoples. But critics and festival judges can no longer pigeonhole them in this way. Perhaps more importantly, though, the films are genuinely popular at home in Yakutia. The most watched film is Agent Mambo, a comedy about a young police officer tasked with infiltrating a car theft gang. Its budget was just 1.7 million rubles, around £20,000 in 2019 when it was released. You would never mistake it for a Hollywood blockbuster, but refreshingly, it doesn't take itself too seriously, and for the average Yakutian, it really must feel as if the action is taking place just a couple of streets away. Все равно американское кино, да, голливудское кино, оно в якутском местном прокате, оно зарабатывает больше, но не сильно. Hollywood films make more money than local films in Yakutia, but not by much. A couple of years ago, the film Agent Mambo made 16 million rubles in local cinemas. 
It was shown at the same time as Captain Marvel and the third installment of the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, but over its first weekend it was the best attended film in Russia, with an average of 93 people attending each screening, while only around 20 or 30 attended the other two. There is much to enjoy about Yakutin cinema, but after watching a dozen or so films and speaking to Irina, what really stands out for me is its originality and self-awareness. Yakutian filmmakers don't aim to emulate world cinema's biggest names. Instead, they find inspiration within. As their films become more and more widely known across Russia and abroad, they remain faithful to their loyal audience, the Saka-speaking people of Yakutia. And rather than cherry-picking arbitrarily from the ever-giving tree of globalisation, the filmmakers of Yakutia create meaning by offering understated comment on universal human behaviour in their own unique cultural and geographical setting. That's it for my foray into Yakutian cinema, but I'd like to thank you for listening and Irina Inglis of the Yakutsk International Film Festival for joining me. I'm also grateful to Karine Miramian for providing Irina's English voiceover. Hopefully you'll tune in next time for another episode of Russia Unwrapped. <laughs> <laughs>